Well, man, it is good to be with you. I'm glad you're excited about church tonight. You can go ahead and have a seat. And uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you personally yet, I'm Pastor Justin and just so honored that you would be with us. I just have a quick thought that I'm going to share with you tonight. And then we're going to receive communion together. And I don't know what your story is, maybe what brought you here. You, you might have come out of tradition. You might have come out of the invitation of a friend. Maybe you, you got an invite, but you're here. I'm glad you're here. But I want you to know that today is about remembering. When we talk about Good Friday, we're talking about remembering the awesome price that Jesus paid. And you need to know that there is a specific day that Jesus carried the cross for you and me. He, he carried the cross to make a way so that we could have relationship with him. And it's possible that you might be here, maybe tradition, invitation, whatever your reason, and, and you don't really understand the importance of Good Friday. And, and even if you do, I'll just tell you like, I've been a Christian a long time, and I didn't know some of these things that I'm going to share with you tonight for a long time. And I can sum up for you what Good Friday is about with one simple Bible principle called covenant. Covenant. Now, there's several covenants in Scripture when you read through the Bible, but probably the most important one is something called the blood covenant. And when you understand this, it really helps you understand how much God cares about you and how much he's committed to you. It's been said that the blood is the main subject of the Bible, that there is a bloodline that runs from Genesis to Revelation. When we're talking about bloodline, I'm not just talking about the genealogy of Jesus. We see the genealogies, but, but there's this line of redemption that we see throughout Scripture. And that's because the Bible, if you're wondering what this book is about, the Bible is about a covenant relationship that God wants to have with you and that he's made with you. You see, the word covenant in Hebrew, it means to cut. That means that whenever there was a covenant made, you read about that in Scripture, that means that there was the shedding of blood. And when we think about the Old and New Testament in Scripture, what we're really talking about is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. They were both provided by blood. The Old Covenant was provided by the blood of animals. The New Covenant was provided for by the blood of Jesus. And I know sometimes in church, we don't always like to talk about the blood, honestly, because it grates against our modern sensibilities a little bit. Like we, we hear about the blood and it seems kind of archaic, maybe barbaric, maybe it seems like it's irrelevant or out of touch, but I need you, maybe it just seems gross, I don't know, but what you need to know is that you can't understand the significance of Good Friday without understanding blood covenant, the truth about Jesus' blood. Without Jesus' blood, there's no power in our lives. And 
It's something that we need to talk about in church. The reason we need to talk about it is because Jesus talked about it. On the night that Jesus would be betrayed, he entered into the upper room with his 12 disciples for the Last Supper. It's in Luke chapter 22. And this is what it says. It says, Jesus said, this cup, not quite like this, but he took a cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It might be strange for you to think about, but Good Friday is the reality that you and I have entered into a blood covenant with Jesus. Now, I don't know if you grew up like I did back in the day. As a kid, I grew up in church, and sometimes I would hear these preachers talk about the blood covenant, and I didn't really know what they were talking about. And so in my mind, when I heard somebody talk about the blood covenant, I know I had seen like a couple old westerns and TV shows, and I remember usually in these TV shows there were two people from different cultures, and maybe it was kids, maybe it was adults, maybe it was a man or woman, but but two people from different cultures and these old westerns, and they would make a blood covenant. They would slit their hands or slit their wrists, and they would put them together, and it was this. Some of you are laughing. You've seen the same ones I have, (laughs) and it was this this picture of. Our, our two lives are, are now one, that we're committed to each other. You know, we've made this pact, th- this bond. And sometimes even in this show, remember, there'd be a scar from where the, the slit was. That it was a symbol of the covenant, and they would just have to hold it up, and they would remember that, hey, we made this. We're together. We're united in this. And even though there, there's some things about that picture that, that can be kind of helpful when we're talking about blood covenant, what you need to know is that when we're talking about that tonight, when we talk about that in church, we're we're talking about a concept that's found in the Old Testament, not an Old Western. You see, uh, under the Old Covenant, the way people related to God was through obeying the law. Relating to God, your relationship with God was, was all about rules and rituals It was all about your work. It was all about your effort. It was all about your ability. And whenever you messed up, and let's be honest, people would mess up because it was impossible to follow all the rules. Whenever you would mess up, the way that you could atone for the way you you broke the law was by shedding the blood of an animal. And I know that that seems gruesome to think about. It's because it's a big deal. God is a holy God. He's so holy that sin cannot stand before him without being consumed. And because God desired to have a relationship with his people, it's this reminder that sin is serious. Well, you see this all throughout the Old Testament, but there's probably no greater picture of this than Exodus. In the book of Exodus, God tells Moses about his desire to dwell in the midst of his people. So he tells him to build a tabernacle. And a tabernacle was a big tent that would exist in the middle of their camp. It was a place where the Israelites could worship God and where they could make sacrifices to atone for their sins so that God could dwell in their midst. 
And in the innermost room of this tabernacle was something called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, maybe you've heard of it before, it was the God box. It was literally a box. It was the place of God's presence. And inside this God box, this Ark, the Israelites, they placed three different objects. Maybe you know what they were. The first object that they placed in there was the stone tablets that Moses received that had the Ten Commandments on them. The second object that they put in this Ark of the Covenant, this God box, was the manna. It was a jar of manna, the manna that God had used to miraculously provide for the children of Israel when they wandered in the wilderness. The, the third object that they put in the Ark was Aaron's staff. Aaron was Moses' brother. He was also a leader. He was the high priest. The, the reason the staff was significant is because it had supernaturally budded when God selected Aaron to be the high priest. And so these elements were placed in this box, and in this box there was a lid over the top of it. This lid was ornate. It was covered in gold. It had two cherubs on top. This lid had a name. It was called the mercy seat. And a lot of people, they, they think about the Ark of the Covenant, and they think about the elements in here as a symbol of God's power, as a symbol of God's strength, as a testament to his faithfulness. That These items that were in the ark, they were all supernatural. Like it was almost a museum of how God provided, was faithful, demonstrated his power for the Israelites. But understand, it really was not supposed to be a museum. It wasn't supposed to just be a testament of God's power. It's not wrong to think that all these items were supernatural, of course. But if it was meant to be a museum, some kind of reminder of God's power, his ability to work miracles, it wasn't a very good one because nobody ever, ever really saw it. There was only one person that was allowed to see it, and that one person was only allowed to see it one day a year on the Day of Atonement. What would happen is on the Day of Atonement, that was the day that they would offer sacrifices, the high priest would go into this most holy place and he would take some of the blood that was offered from these sacrifices and he would sprinkle it over the top of this mercy seat. Now here's what you need to understand. It was not a symbol of God's power in the wilderness. The reason what these items were weren't a testament to God's greatest miracles. It was really a reminder of Israel's greatest failure. Now think about this. All three of these items, the tablets, the manna, the rod, the reason they were in there was because they were representative, rooted in Israel's greatest failure. Think about the tablets for a minute. The tablets, the stone tablets, these are actually the second tablets that, that they made. Because the first time that God wrote on these stone tablets, Moses was on Mount Sinai talking to God. He was giving him the covenant, the laws that was going to be passed down. Moses was up there for 40 days, and the Israelites, they had forgotten about Moses. They said, he's long gone. We need an idol. They made a golden calf. Moses comes down, sees the Israelites worshiping this golden calf. 
he breaks the tablets that God gave him. How many, God gives you something written on stone and you just throw it down the moment? <laughs> so, he has to go back to God, get the tablets again, and it's put in the ark. Reminder of their idolatry. The manna? Do you know why God provided the manna? It was because once they got into the desert, they started complaining about the food that they had. They started complaining about being in the wilderness and oh, how good it was to be back in Egypt under those chains. And out of their complaints, out of their rebellion, God sent manna. Think about the rod. The rod, that's maybe not so much of a famous story, but the rod really came about because the Israelites were rebelling uh, to Moses' leadership and Aaron's leadership. They said, we don't want you to lead us anymore, which ultimately was rebelling against God's leadership. So God said, okay, you want to know who I've chosen to lead you? All the leaders of the tribes, take your staff, carve your initials in it, throw it in the box, and the one that sprouts, this wooden stick, this dead wooden stick, the one that sprouts, that's the leader that I've chosen. So they put all this in the box, and the high priest comes, and he covers it with blood over this lid called mercy. And the reason he did that was because all of your mistakes the worst failures you've had are covered under God's mercy and under God's blood. That's the ark of the covenant. That in your greatest mistake, God shows his greatest, his greatest promise to you. The blood covenant is a reminder that you are under the mercy of God. That's why these old-timey preachers, like I said, I grew up in church, listen to these old-timey preachers, they used to say things like, it's under the blood. What do they mean by that? They mean, don't go dig up the stuff that's been covered in God's mercy. Don't go dig up the stuff that's been covered in God's blood. It means your past is covered. What does that mean? It means the blood covenant is a reminder that the pain of your past doesn't have to set the course of your future. That, that just because that happened to your parents doesn't mean it has to happen to you. That, that just because you came from a family of addicts doesn't mean that you have to be an addict. That, that just because your dad was an alcoholic, it doesn't mean that you have to be an alcoholic. That, that just because you've made a mistake, that it doesn't mean that your children are gonna make the same mistake. That just because your parents' marriage ended in divorce, it doesn't mean that your marriage is destined to end in divorce. It's covered under the blood. Here's the problem, though. Under the old system, your sins never went away. They were just covered. They were just covered so you could have fellowship with God, but not freedom from sin. Jesus came... And he said, I'm making a new covenant with you because he didn't just want to cover your sins, he wanted to forgive them. He didn't just want to cover your sins, he wanted to cleanse you of them. 
He, he wanted to destroy the power of sin in your life. And just like God wanted to dwell in the midst of the Israelites, God wants to dwell and live in you. He wants to make his home in you. He, he wants to restore you. He wants to protect you. He wants to empower you, and he wants to provide for you. That's the principle that's found in the new covenant. See, in the Old Testament, I mentioned there were different types of covenants. You see it as early as Genesis. When Adam messed up, Adam and Eve, they sinned. God killed an animal to cover up their nakedness with the skin of that animal. And it wasn't just to cover up their nakedness. It was a covenant that he made with them. God made a covenant with Noah. He put the rainbow as a sign in the sky that he would never, ever abandon the human race. God made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham split a bull in half, and God's presence came down as a pillar of fire and walked through the trail of that blood, and he began to pronounce a blessing on Abraham, and that blessing that's on Abraham is available to you today. He made other covenants with Moses, with Joshua, with David, all these other covenants God made in Scripture. But what's interesting is when you get to the book of Hebrews, we discover something different about the covenant God made with us through Jesus. This is what it says in Hebrews 13, verse 20. It says, Now the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. He says, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Hebrews tells us that this is an everlasting covenant. What does that mean? It means that long before God ever made a covenant with Adam, he made a covenant with Jesus. In fact, there's another scripture in Revelation which says that before the foundation of the world, Jesus was the lamb who was slain. That means long before Adam was ever on the scene, before that ever happened, he knew what Adam was gonna do. And guess what? He knew what you were gonna do too. And he already provided a way by making a covenant with himself through the blood of Jesus so that when we get to the words of Jesus and he says, this is a new covenant in my blood, what he's saying is, you and I are gonna relate differently now. It's not about rules and rituals. It's not because of your ability to keep things perfect. It's gonna be because of what I've done. In fact, there's, there's a beautiful picture of what this covenant means in the book of 1 Samuel. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 18, there's the story of a man named Jonathan. Jonathan was the king's son. Jonathan wanted to make a covenant with David. And when we learn the story of how they entered into covenant, I notice that Jonathan does four specific things. He comes to David, he says, let's make a covenant together. And the first thing he does is he he takes off his robe and he hands it to David. 
The next thing he does, you can find the verse in 1 Samuel 18, I think it's verse three. He takes off his armor and he gives it to David. Next, he, he hands David his sword and his bow. And the fourth thing he does is, is he gives David his belt. When I think about this story, I'm reminded of the powerful truth of covenant. And I want to explain what this is because we're so removed from the culture of the day. Sometimes the stuff that he does, it doesn't make any sense. But you got to understand, when he takes off his robe, this isn't just like you and me taking off our outer coat and giving it to somebody. You didn't just wear a, a robe to keep you warm or, or just for the, the, the sake of appearance. The, the robe said something. The, the robe was a picture of identity. We even know in our day that clothes make a statement. The clothes say something about you. Well, when he took off his robe, this was a royal robe. He was the king's son. By giving David his robe, he is saying, I'm giving you my royalty. I'm giving you my position. He is trading places. You know, that's exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. The very first thing he did when he got on the cross is he took upon himself our place. He took upon himself our sin, our shame. He traded places with us. He took our position and gave us his position. What is his position? A child of the king, the son of God, that we can come to God now, not as a beggar, not God, could you please do something in this maybe, but we can come to God as a child of the king. We can come clothed in the robe of righteousness. We can come boldly and with authority for the things that we need. The, the next thing he did, after he gave him his robe, he gave him his armor. What is armor? It's protection. It's this reality that you don't have to suffer from the same things that everybody else suffers from. You don't have to suffer anxiety. You don't have to deal with insecurity. You don't have to worry about what tomorrow's gonna bring. Not just protection, in your mind and in your soul, yes, both of those things, protection in your body. You know, Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, healing the sick. Jesus said, in my name, you can be healed. In my name, there'll be miracles. So it's not just position. It's not just protection. He then gives them his sword, his bow. He gives them his weapons. And it's a great picture. It's a picture of his power. When he hands him his weapons, he's saying, your battles are no longer just your battles. Your fights are no longer just your fights. When, when you're facing something, you understand that the battle is no longer just yours alone. The battle belongs to the Lord. He's saying, I give you my power. You know, Jesus said something else about this. He said it's because of this covenant that you can have the power of the Holy Spirit. He said to his disciples, remain in Jerusalem until you receive power. What's the power for? Well, the, the stuff that we face, that you don't just have to struggle with addiction, that, that you can have power to break free from that. 
that, that, the, that the same things where you've been like, I can't seem to get past this, that you can have power over the grip of sin in your life. That, that you can have power that brings victory. That's what the blood does. It brings victory in your life. So he gave him his robe for position. He gave him his armor for protection, his weapons for power. And then he gives him his belt. And here's what he was doing when he offered him his belt. His belt is a picture of provision. You gotta keep in mind that, you know, the clothes of this day, they didn't have pockets. So anything that you were going to carry with you for what you needed, any money, any tools, any other possessions that you needed, they were going to be held up by your belt. And here's why this matters. Because the devil wants you to think that you have to earn the things of God, that it's your own effort, that it's your own righteousness, that it's your own ability, that it's all about what you have and what you don't have that makes the difference. But that's not what the blood covenant is. The blood covenant says you don't earn any of this. I freely give it to you. All the good things God has for you come through the riches of the cross and the shedding of Jesus' blood. That's why Paul would later say when he was talking about the same communion that we're about to receive, he would say, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because we don't have any of this stuff I just talked to you about without the cross. In fact, that's why we call it Good Friday. Not because it was good for him, but because it was good for us. Position, protection, provision, power, all of it comes through the riches of the cross. Can I tell you something? God is not out to get you. If he ever does get you, all he is going to show you is love and kindness. He is not upset with you. You have an enemy, a spiritual enemy, the devil, but it's not God. He's not out to make you pay. God's not out to make you pay. He has already paid through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So don't ever question if God is for you or not. He's proved it at Calvary. So as we receive communion, I want to ask you to stand to your feet for just a moment. We're going to go back into worship. If you didn't get the elements when you walked in, we'll have some available at the front and the back. You can make your way out, or if you just lift up your hand, our host will help you find it. But as we receive communion here tonight, for the next few moments, I want you to open up your heart open up your spirit and remember this covenant that's what Good Friday is all about I want to read one more verse to you it's found in Revelation 12 it says they won the victory over him over who? 
the enemy, the devil. They won the victory over him. Victory in your life comes this way, by the blood of the Lamb and by the truth which they proclaimed. See, every time we take this, we proclaim the truth that we have victory through Jesus' blood. So I want to tell you tonight, this is why it's a Good Friday. Because what you need is available in this. Forgiveness from your sin, freedom from your past, victory over what you're facing, restoration in relationship with God. Not your ability, not your goodness, not how you're able to do the right things, but through what Jesus did. 